0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit amen well we know the city of Jericho of course from the story of Joshua right when the walls came tumbling down the Israelites took the city on their journey to the promised land but in the Old Testament Jericho was a symbol for sin it was the city of sin it was the city that collapsed when it was surrounded by God's Word It was the city that collapsed when the people of god shouted around its walls by jesus's day though jericho still had a reputation it still kind of had a reputation as a city of sin but in jericho in jesus's day there stood a large palace complex that was actually three palaces and it was perhaps the most luxurious spot in that region it was used by herod the great and then later his son, as a winter house. It was basically a vacation spot for royalty. In fact, archaeologists have uncovered a good deal of this palace and its surroundings. So in the time just before Herod, architects from Rome came and they designed this palace resort. It had marble floors and columns. There were elaborate Roman-style bathhouses. There were elegant gardens. There was an enormous dining room, something like a ballroom, it had unique and original frescoes on the wall just outside of the palace there was a swimming pool almost the size of a modern olympic regulation pool and so society's elite at that time they spent time in jericho it was something like martha's vineyard of the day roman diplomats royal family soldiers the wealthy they would have been seen coming in and out of the city And so Jericho stood on a hill as a city of opulence. Well, our gospel this morning tells us nothing of Jesus' time in Jericho. In fact, it reads in context like Jesus looks around for a second and decides to leave right away. Verse 46 actually says they came to Jericho, and then as they were leaving Jericho, there's very little interest in the luxury of the city. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus spends very little time in any socially important city in the Gospels, right? Jesus spends most of his time out in the country among the poor folk. In the same way this this morning, our story focuses on the blind beggar who sat outside the city on the road begging from the wealthy who would have been passing by. And ironically, we're told that the beggar's name is Bartimaeus. Right? And, and there are very few instances in which we're told someone's name in the Gospels when they're healed. But Bartimaeus is an exception. And Bartimaeus is a name, it's a smashed together name, an Aramaic and Greek name, that means son of honor. And so we should get the tone of the story right away from the start. Because Mark is telling us that the son of honor is not sitting up there in that beautiful palace but rather he's begging on the road outside of the city. And so as the son of honor, we should also see Bartimaeus as a kind of son of courage, because right outside the city of Herod's palace, he begins to yell that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David. The implication, of course, is that if Jesus is the son of David, then Jesus is the true king. And if Jesus is the true king, then Herod is not. Now the Herod who reigned during Jesus' ministry was Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And we know from the Gospel of Matthew that Herod the Great was paranoid about the coming of a Messiah. He was so paranoid that he had babies slaughtered when the Magi came to find the newborn Christ. And so to stand outside of Jericho and to call Jesus the son of David was a risky thing to do. In fact, this is why those around him were telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. They thought Bartimaeus was going to get them all in trouble. If one of the elites or one of the diplomats passed by on their way to the palace resort and heard this kind of talk, they could have easily told Herod what was going on. Herod, who had cut off John the Baptist's head, might just do the same to all of them. Herod might just imprison all of them who were gathering around Jesus he might come to believe that they're all a threat, that they're trying to start an uprising against him. And in fact, this was a social reality that many of them were familiar with. There were a number of failed messiahs in that time period. There were a number of leaders who tried to lead a revolt, to establish a new kind of kingdom. And inevitably, they were all found out and they were all killed. And so we don't want to miss that even in the big picture of the Gospel of Mark, This is the final story before Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. At that point, the crowds will all begin to hail Jesus as King. They will all begin to shout Hosanna and believe that the King has come to make all of their hopes come true. But in a few days time after that Palm Sunday, the elite in Jerusalem will do exactly what the crowd who tried to hush Bartimaeus were afraid of. They will arrest Jesus, crucify him, and scatter his followers and so at this point bartimaeus knows that he has nothing to lose but he has everything to gain by putting his trust in jesus herod could in fact take his life but when you're a blind beggar sitting on the road at the mercy of others you have little comfort in this life anyway herod and the elite of jericho might throw him a few pennies while he lies in poverty on the road but Jesus, that's the true king, can change everything for him. Bartimaeus isn't scared that he might offend some politicians. Mark tells us even that Bartimaeus throws away his cloak when Jesus calls him. So it's believed that beggars would spread out their cloaks in front of them so passerbys could toss their coins, their alms, out them without actually, without actually having to look at them or touch them. But they could just throw throw their money on the cloaks. And so when Bartimaeus throws, by, throws his cloak by the way, he's giving away his only means to support himself. Right? Whatever means he had to support himself were tied up in that cloak. But he can toss it aside. And he can toss it aside because he trusts that Jesus is, in fact, the son of David. And if Jesus is the son of David, then there's something greater in store for him. Something greater than just pennies tossed at him by the rich heading into the city. And of course, Bartimaeus was correct. Jesus saved him. Jesus opened his eyes and Bartimaeus in return does not go back up and pick up his cloak and whatever coins were in it. Rather, he follows Jesus on the way. He knows there will never be a greater opportunity in this lifetime than to follow the son of David, to follow the true king of the world. And Bartimaeus' faith comes to him when he seizes that opportunity to follow Christ, because he knew that the world had nothing real to offer him. And so this is the truth to us this morning. True faith comes when we know that we have nothing to lose in this world, and that we have everything to gain by following Christ. Bartimaeus was not scared of what politicians might do to him. He was not scared to speak the truth that he believed Jesus of Nazareth was king. He had nothing they could take away. And the one possession he had, he was willing to throw away because he knew Jesus was more. And we see the contrast of the attitude of Bartimaeus with the rich man we heard about in Mark 10 a couple weeks ago. Jesus told that rich man he lacked one thing and invited him to give what he had to the poor and to follow Jesus on the way. The rich man walked away sad. He was unwilling to let go of his possessions. They meant too much to him. Bartimaeus, however, was attached to nothing in this world. He just wanted to be close to the king. He wanted to follow Jesus joyfully. In order for us, like Bartimaeus, to be in a place to follow Jesus joyfully, we first have to come to a place where we understand that we're blind beggars in this world. When we come to that point, then we begin to know what it really means to trust Jesus. To come to this point is to recognize that in this world, there's nothing of permanence to hold on to. Your money, your house, your car, your clothes, your job title, your reputation, it's all fleeting everything that is good and stable in this world only comes to us by the hand of god and if we begin to think the things of this world by themselves can give us value or can save us we begin to make idols of them next week we'll celebrate reformation day and i believe that the reformation was about this very same issue thinking about luther's 95 thesis in particular what was luther's real problem with the catholic teaching on indulgences The Catholic Church at the time was selling slips of paper that declared your punishment in purgatory would be reduced because you bought a piece of paper and gave money to the church. Luther would argue that such a thing was not in the Bible or in church tradition. But Luther's real problem with indulgences was that they led to idolatry. People placed their hope in their own ability to pay for these slips of paper. People put their hope into what the Pope said to save them. And this was all wrong according to luther the only true object of your hope to be saved is christ it is only christ the son of god who became man who can save you and this is what we see in bartimaeus the man who could not see the man who had nothing placed his hope in christ and nowhere else not in the politicians that were passing by into jericho but in the man from Nazareth, who had no interest in the wealth of Jericho. He put his hope in the son of David because he knew it was only Christ who could save him. And so it is with us. Only Christ can save us. The person living in the White House, the elected leaders at our Capitol, our bishops, our pastors, our family, our friends, none of these people can save us. Nor can we even save ourselves. Like Bartimaeus, we're blind. We're beggars on the way. Spiritually, we're helpless. We need Christ to save us. Again, as Luther says in a catechism, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but that the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. We cannot save ourselves, nor can anyone in this world save us, so we must turn to Christ we must seek mercy from him. And we must turn to him knowing that we have nothing to lose because this world has nothing eternal for us. Left to our own devices, we will self-destruct with selfishness and vanity because all of us without Christ are blinded by sin. Without Christ, we will sit outside the world's empty promises and all we can hope for is whatever pennies are tossed our way. With Christ, however we are saved. With Christ, we are given eyes to see the world as it really is. We're given not the empty promises of this world, but we're given true life with the king. And so when we begin to beg for the mercy of the true king, rather than to beg for the scraps of this world, we become like Bartimaeus. We become a son of honor. And it's in following Christ that we are given honor. Amen.